0: Now and welcome to Quantum Drive. I'm Rob. I'm Katie. And our ongoing mission is to discuss every episode of the Orville.
1: Today we'll be discussing episode six, which is called Krill. It is written by David A. Goodman and directed by John Casser.
0: Before we get into the episode discussion, we have another review to read. <gasps> this one comes in from Sacramento Guy nine one six, who starts off by saying, "Great show, professional sound." I appreciate you having a good format and great sound. The intro is really good, too. Looking forward to hearing all your views. Short but sweet.
1: No, I appreciate that. And I know you try really hard, and I do try to assist with making the sound good, because I think it's important for a podcast to be easy to listen to. So that means a lot.
0: Absolutely. Before we get into the episode two, a quick mention, because we are part of the Geek Generation Network. Uh, Just to throw out, we're going to mention some shows here and there that other people should check out from time to time if they want to see the other things that are on the network. So, for instance, uh, there's another show that I host called Random Movie Club, which is very similar to this show. However, we discuss, like it says, random movies. And Mm -hmm. uh, no, Katie's not a permanent co-host on that one, but has been on it before, and I'm sure will be on it again. So
1: have been on it, and we discussed one of my favorite movies, which is called The Mummy. Oh, yes. (laughs) The Brendan Fraser Mummy, the only mummy movie. So go listen to that one if you need one (laughs) to start on and you want to ease into it and hear my sweet voice. Go listen to that one.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. And that's Random Movie Club, uh, just one of the many podcasts on the Geek Generation Network. We'll mention others as we go forward. If you would like to email us, you can do so by emailing quantumdrive at thegeekgeneration.com. You can follow us on Twitter at QuantumDrivePod, and you can join our Discord at TheGeekGeneration.com slash Discord if you'd like to chat with us about Orville things and other stuff.
1: Come talk to us.
0: What do we have for trivia this week?
1: I have a lot of trivia. I had to actually call back my trivia, which I guess is a good problem to have. That means there's lots of fun things to talk about. Oh, totally. So the first thing I found was there are 111 unique Krill characters that they had to create in eight days for this episode alone.
0: Whoa. Yeah, because I noticed that they don't have, I mean, they have a similar structure to Mm -hmm. their head, but the markings and everything are very unique from Krill to Krill.
1: And so for this reason, makeup artist Berger, who we've talked about in the past, Mm -hmm. said that this episode was the most difficult of the season.
0: Oh, wow. Even more so than creating different aliens for the Caliban mm-hmm. Zoo. I wow. just thought that was
1: interesting. 111. Like, because you have to make the faces and then the costuming. It's just, it's a lot of work to make them each look different, too. Mm-hmm. Because the Union was unable to project holograms as disguises prior to the year 2419, it seems the technology used to disguise Malloy and Mercer was, in fact, a continuation of the technology taken from the Calavon in Command Performance.
0: Yes. And I believe that was actually confirmed uh, by one of the writers that that is the case. Like, yeah, it was the the buoy that Isaac had taken Mm -hmm. that they used to disguise the entire ship. They just kind of like downsized that technology to make their personal ones, which is smart. It's a nice callback.
1: Yeah, it really is. And but it's not a noticeable callback unless you really Mm -hmm. think about it. And I did think it was interesting during the episode when they're like, Isaac gave us this. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was kind of cool. Notice when Talia is held in the Orville Sick Bay, they have dimmed the lights to accommodate her sensitive skin. Oh, true. Mm-hmm.
0: I didn't think about why it was darker, even though I kind of noticed it in the back of my brain.
1: I just thought that was an I mean, it's such a small detail, but I like when shows pay attention to those details. Oh, yeah. Because like if it was bright sunshine, she would have had... <laughs> she would have burned to death. So. <laughs>
0: Same problem. Uh,
1: another thing I found was that Scott Grimes, who plays Gordon hated wearing the Krill costume, and for that reason, loathed acting in this specific episode. And he said it took two and a half hours, and it sucked. I'm glad I don't have to do what the others have to do every day.
0: That's funny. Mm -hmm. For a guy, too, even though he has a lot of screen work, I think that the majority of his work, because he works on other Seth MacFarlane projects, a lot of his stuff is probably voice work now. So like, getting on camera is even a hassle, and then two and a half hours of makeup on top of getting on camera.
1: I have a lot of anyone who does prosthetics for their job, like to get sit there, get there early, put it on and then act and then take it all off. I have a lot of respect for because that's it adds an extra layer, like literally and figuratively. And so (laughs) I feel like that's it's it's a lot of work and they have to get there earlier than someone who just has to get a little face makeup put on. So kudos to them.
0: I always wondered why actors would get a large amount of tattoos if you wanted to be an actor. Because mm-hmm. a lot of the time they have to cover those up, which just means a longer work day. Yeah. Like, is it that important to you?
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, there's like a good example of that is Machine Gun Kelly is just covered in tattoos, mm. and I think in I never I never watched it. I think it's called The Dirt, that Motley Crew Netflix movie. Okay. They showed a there was a thing on Twitter I I watched where they covered all of his tattoos. Oh wow! And it the process, I was like, this is not. An easy thing to do, and they had to do that for the to shoot the movie. Mm-hmm. But I guess if they want the talent enough, they're willing to do those things. Thank God for makeup. Uh, the Krill's obsession with Avis and their destructive religion parallels with Earth's history and extremist forms of religion, which oh, yeah, I think is sure. obvious. And when you're watching the show, you can be like, "But they." It was interesting that they pulled in some extremist religious things for this episode. It brings in another topic that is uh
0: you were gonna say another layer weren't you (laughs) yeah i was and i was like layer is the
1: only word okay there's lots of layers today (laughs) while on the shuttle gordon and mercer are heading over to the krill ship they're gordon singing along to credence clearwater revivals midnight special and seth mcfarland used that song as a nod to the opening scene of the 1983 movie the twilight zone
0: oh see i haven't seen that so i guess i wouldn't pick up on the connection there
1: I haven't either, but I just thought it was interesting because it's it is, another yeah. sci-fi show. And he does a lot of nods to things. Oh, yeah. And I think that's pretty cool. Sometimes I pick up on them and sometimes I it goes right over my His head. His
0: pop culture knowledge runs deep.
1: That's that's impressive, too, to be able to maintain all those little nuggets and insert them into the show. Mm-hmm. While reading the Ankana, Ed compares its gruesome contents to writing by Brett Easton Ellis, who is famous for having written the graphically violent novels, American Psycho and Rules of Attraction. Rules of Attraction.
0: <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize who he was referencing. I'm not a heavy book reader, so. Mm-hmm.
1: I actually didn't know American Psycho and Rules of Attraction were even books. Oh. So this was a fun fact in two ways for me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: educational.
1: Yeah, this is educational. This was interesting. This is the first episode not written by Seth MacFarlane. Yes. So when I was looking that up, I was like, oh, David A. Goodman wrote this one. And Seth MacFarlane didn't have any writing credits on this
0: one. Mm. I believe he gets a pass at everything, obviously. I mean, he's producer, so.
1: The Krill ships, the design of them are meant to be more utilitarian and energy wasteful than the energy efficient Union ships.
0: Hmm. Energy wasteful.
1: Mm-hmm. When I was looking up a lot of things about the Krill... And there's another fact I have coming up about their equipment is that they're not designed in a way to be efficient. They're designed in a way to have power. And it was just an interesting thing that the the theme ran through with the Krill is that their things are not made in a way that they want power. And they will do anything to get that power, even if everything is energy inefficient.
0: So, that, yeah, they don't care about consumption. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of use everything because it's all made for them anyway. Yeah. No one else deserves it.
1: Yeah. So, the thing is, it doesn't matter if it doesn't help the environment or whatever, the environment's for them to use. Huh. And, every, like, it was just interesting when I was yeah. reading about the krill. And I actually found looking at these fun facts and researching the krill more before watching the episode made it a lot more interesting mm. because I could, like, pick up on all the little nuances of things. Okay, so I hopefully won't butcher this. (laughs) Costume designer Joseph Porro found exotic fabrics from Guangzhou, China, to clothe many of the alien races on the show, which is including the krill. And I thought that was pretty cool that they um, scoured the world to find fabrics to make the costumes for the show. Mm -hmm. And he has a really interesting quote. There's nothing more difficult for a designer than doing a sci-fi series of one-hour, non-sequential episodes, in other words, where you go to a different planet every week. It's more difficult than any film you'll ever work on, because what you do is you produce 45 background people and 6 or 7 speaking characters for this alien world, and then you throw it all away because you're never going back to that planet again, and then you start all over in the next 8-9 to nine day cycle, and it's really very stressful and rewarding, but this show is the hardest thing I've ever worked on. Amazingly challenging.
0: No doubt. Yeah, I I love the amount of work that people put into it. I can't imagine having to do that much work just to toss it all away.
1: Oh, There's probably just warehouses of like, here's outfits from episode three mm-hmm. that will never see the light of day again.
0: You hear stories of old Star Trek episodes where they've repurposed old sets and made them into new ones. Just so that they didn't have to start from scratch every single time. And that yeah. just makes sense.
1: It just when you really think about the amount of detail. And I, I think that's another reason I love the show is that the detail, they pay attention to it and they care. Mm-hmm. And it shows, especially getting exotic fabrics from China to make the alien races look unique. And I think that's really cool. So the Krill equipment, such as the gear for exploration or their weapons, is influenced by their race's aggression and disinterest in safety and efficiency, where it might interfere with conquest.
0: That makes sense.
1: They are a very aggressive race, and like we were just talking about, they don't care. They just want power, and they deserve everything. So. Yeah,
0: we'll talk a little bit, I'm sure, mm-hmm. during the episode about it, too, but even just their, the way they speak and their mannerisms and everything are a very specific tone.
1: Yeah, the This is a, just a thing that I appreciated is Brian Rogers, who got design ideas for the weapons on the show from Joseph Poro's armor design that he did for the krill, mm-hmm. included like little, little things like green iridescence. And one of the things I found was that the krill color is green, obviously, mm-hmm. and has a hint of purple. Sorry, I have a book that has all this fun fact information in it that I think is cool. And I had a quote I wanted to read about it. Um, The Krill live in a greenish world. Their color is green. So we used a slightly faded green color as a color motif for the entire episode and put a fair amount of contrast in it. If you think about Klingons years ago, Klingons lived in this very blue and red world, and the Krill is kind of green and purple. Their accent is purple and their color is green. So the minute the audience sees that, they know they're in the Krill world. And that's from cinematographer Marvin Rush.
0: Yeah, I I've always appreciated that making things very recognizable so that when you're in a certain environment right away, you know, that's the environment I'm in. Uh, It's it is kind of like having team colors in a way.
1: (laughs) Which I I I love the green. I don't know why. Maybe it's I feel like it's the gamer in me, but I love LED lights. And I just feel like the way they did the lighting design on the show was really good.
0: Yeah, it's very good.
1: Um, the Krill were one of the first aliens designed by Howard Berger and his crew for the series, and their look was inspired by the movie Nosferatu.
0: That absolutely makes mm-hmm. sense, especially when they make the, the joke about the space vampires in this one.
1: Yep. When I saw it, when I read that, I was like, oh my gosh, I, I just immediately made the connection. Yeah. It just, it's just a spot on description of that. Yeah, I
0: don't know. I didn't even think of that before. It's mm-hmm. It's very accurate.
1: According to Tammy Lane, Seth MacFarlane overcame a lot of phobias because he had to wear prosthetics. I don't know what the phobias were, but she said he actually enjoyed the process and has a whole new understanding and sympathy for his actors who are wearing prosthetic makeup, and now he's not afraid of it. I'm curious what the phobias are.
0: Most of the time, if people are in prosthetics, the one issue that comes up a lot is for people that are claustrophobic mm-hmm. because they feel like they can't breathe in it. People... There are stories of people just like ripping them off their face as soon as like they get encased in this stuff.
1: That does make sense. I feel like I've done special effects makeup when I've done my stream on Twitch and Mm -hmm. there are times where like my nose would be plugged up and I could only breathe through my mouth and I so I can definitely see if your face is covered and you have tiny little breathing holes. I yeah, that that's probably the most likely thing. And like I said, props to those who do that because I don't think, I I don't know. Maybe you just get over it at some point.
0: Yeah. I, some people just don't, though. Some people are like, I'm not doing prosthetic stuff. So mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's just the contract.
1: Oh, So I have a couple guest stars. The guest star, James Horan, continues the Orville's use of actors with connections to the Star Trek franchise. Mm-hmm. Horan made guest appearance on The Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, and Enterprise.
0: He did. Uh, he plays mm-hmm. High Priest Cezaron in this one
1: yep yeah he did a great job
0: he really did his tng Mm -hmm. stuff i looked up to see exactly what he was in he was joe brill in the episode suspicions and he was lieutenant barnaby in descent part two
1: and then he is known in trek circles for playing an unnamed humanoid character colloquial referred to as future guy in five episodes of enterprise yeah i haven't seen enterprise yet so (laughs) i need to i I need to get on that um (laughs) Another guest star is Kelly Hu, who plays Admiral Ozawa, and she is from The Scorpion King and Arrow.
0: Yeah, she plays China White on Arrow. She has a lot of voice acting stuff in her credits as mm-hmm.
1: well. I saw her and I was like, I know who that is. Mm-hmm. Like, I've seen her face before. She, I liked her character. She was sassy. <laughs> She's um, great. <laughs> uh, Michaela McManus, who plays Talea. She is also an actress underneath all that makeup. Um, She's from shows like Awake, The Vampire Diaries, and most notably, One Tree Hill.
0: One Tree Hill. That's that's (laughs) one of my guilty pleasure shows. And I was like, oh, my God.
1: (laughs) I wasn't allowed to watch that growing up. But now that I'm an adult, I might have to add that to my Netflix queue. And I've heard it's a good like I like those kind of shows. So I probably would enjoy it. I
0: mean, One Tree Hill jumps to mind, but I absolutely love the series Awake. And she has a pretty significant role in that. So Mm -hmm. that was very exciting.
1: Those are all my fun facts and guest stars for this episode.
0: All right, let's get into the episode then. Uh, In the mess hall, some of the crew are eating and chatting about Alara's love life. Bordis asks about the sushi that Malloy is eating, so Gordon offers him some. Instead of the sushi, he eats an entire ball of wasabi. Bordis explains that his species is capable of getting nourishment from many things, both organic and inorganic. They test a few things before being called to the bridge.
1: Okay, so one of the things I wanted to talk about was Alara's, she broke up with her boyfriend because he felt emasculated that she was stronger than him. Did
0: she break up with him or did he break up with her?
1: I guess he, maybe he broke up with her, but I just, I don't know. I guess in in that day and age, I think it's interesting that her boyfriend felt emasculated by her.
0: True, but it's the second time that this has come up.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. I just feel like she can control her strength. It's not like she's walking around, like, breaking through walls and stuff. I, I just think that maybe she's dating awful men in the future well, yeah close-minded.
0: If a guy can't <laughs> handle that, then it's not the lady who's the problem.
1: I know. So I just thought that was interesting that she's having so many man issues mm. because she's super strong. Yeah. And it's so far in the future. I thought maybe that would be a thing of the past, but, you know. Well,
0: I, they've clearly grown out of so many issues that we I, as know, humans have... <laughs>
1: I guess that's, that's, that's interesting. But also we got, we got a digestive lesson on the Moklins. Yes. I just, it's borderline. Like, are they, is it like bullying to make him eat
0: all that stuff? <laughs> I don't think it's bullying because they know, well, they don't know he can handle it yet. He assumes mm-hmm. he can handle it. He's it's eating not glass. Like, well, yeah, but like he said, he can get nourishment out of inorganic things. Mm-hmm. So it's all just food to him.
1: But I, I did like that we learned a little bit more about the Moklin race. And about, you know, how their alien species functions. And yeah. I did like when John said, This is gonna be fun. This is a new fun thing. <laughs> that was one of my favorite lines from the show.
0: This this scene is like the perfect example to me of how comedy works really well on this mm-hmm. show. It's not it's not like a side note. It's not something crowbarred in. It's character development while giving us the humor at the same time. And I really, yeah. I really like this scene.
1: Yeah, I do, too. I think it was a really good opener.
0: Yeah. Castra Four, a new Union colony, is under attack by a Krill battle cruiser. With no other Union ships around, the Orville is forced to engage alone. I do want to just address one of the verbal exchanges <laughs> they have here, where Kelly says there are families down there, and Gordon responds with, there's probably a lot of single people, too.
1: I, I like that, too. I thought it was interesting, because... It is true. Like, just because they're a single person, they deserve to live also. <laughs>
0: right. That, that was my thought. Like, yeah, we usually emphasize that if there are kids, then it's more dire of a situation, which mm-hmm. this episode also kind of touches on later, which is an yeah, interesting kind of comeback. But I thought it was a nice little insertion of, hey, everybody matters. We still need to yeah. save them.
1: It doesn't matter if they have kids or not. No, I agree. And I do like that they... I don't know I feel like the show does a good job of, of including what everybody's thinking mm-hmm. because it is true like there's a lot of things like there's kids down there, there's families. It's like, oh everybody else doesn't matter. So if like it was just a colony of single people'd be like, well, they don't have anything going yeah. for them. so <laughs> we'll just let them you know be destroyed right? But I will say I love the krill ship design.
0: yeah, the the krill everything with the krill is designed oh. super, super well.
1: And their ship is so much bigger than the Orville.
0: So much. Well, yeah, the Orville is just an exploratory... I wonder how many... Oh, this is interesting. Because we don't get the same sense of scale with the ship we see later. We know Mm -hmm. the Orville has roughly like 300-ish people on it. And Mm -hmm. I wonder then if the Krill ship is that much bigger, is it just because of weapon power? Or do they have a significantly larger complement? And if that's the case... How many Krill were actually on the other ship? We're going to see both of these, actually.
1: Mm-hmm. Or it's just wildly inefficient because they don't care.
0: <laughs> also, the other possibility. Yeah, there's like
1: a crew of 20 and they just have this giant ship.
0: <laughs> we're all about intimidation.
1: Yeah, I feel like there's probably a lot of weapons on board, though, too, because that was a battle cruiser, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly.
0: Yeah, Overpowered by the Krill ship. Ed orders Gordon to skim the atmosphere of the planet, which creates a cloud that the Krill scanners can't penetrate. While the Krill ship is blinded, they fire their entire bank of plasma torpedoes and destroy the vessel. Among the wreckage, they find a completely intact functional shuttle.
1: How did that happen?
0: Unlikely, but the only way for this story to work. (laughs) (laughs)
1: yeah i will say though i don't know what's wrong with me but i love seeing the shuttles on this show and i was like "Ooh, a new shuttle we can see inside (laughs) so i was like i'm here for it let's learn more about the krill shuttle
0: just excited for a new set (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: this whole episode i was just like oh because i just love i love seeing inside different worlds it's like when you watch house hunters on hgtv and it's you like i like seeing inside other people's worlds I sound like such a creep.
0: House Hunters Krill Edition.
1: I would watch that. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I would watch Orville House Hunters Edition. They just go to different planets and alien races and you see how they live. That's like that's my kind of (laughs) entertainment.
0: They report they're fine to the Union and Admiral Ozawa pays them a visit to give them a new mission. Ed and Gordon are to infiltrate the Krill and obtain a copy of the Ankana, their species holy text. The goal is to better understand the Krill so that the Union can attempt to make peace.
1: This was interesting. The Kelly and Ed dynamic of that mm-hmm. whole scene where Kelly's like, could, could you find someone who's better at undercover? And he's like, Can you not do this when guests are here?
0: <laughs> yeah, that was the divorced couple coming out.
1: Yeah. I, I just feel like overall, Admiral Ozawa, mm-hmm. I'm saying I'm questioning it because I keep mispronouncing her name, <laughs> but I, I feel like. She explained all my questions. Mm. I was like, why is Ed going? Why are they just doing this so hastily? And she was like, we're here. We have the shuttle. If we don't go now, we could lose our chance Mm -hmm. at this. And I was like, oh, all my questions are answered. I'm okay with why they're doing this immediately and right now. (laughs) Thank
0: you for being Admiral Exposition.
1: Yeah. But she was... I loved her character. She was just like the right amount of sass. Very to the point... And I just, I enjoyed her presence and her charisma.
0: Yeah. She has an admiral presence to her. Mm -hmm. It's believable.
1: It's believable.
0: Ed and Gordon are equipped with holographic generators, which allow them to appear as Krill. Like we said, uh, they kind of got that tech from the Calvon buoy. Isaac downsized Mm -hmm. it. Now they have these, which does explain why it works on scanners and stuff, because they do get scanned later on.
1: Yeah. I was wondering about that. And. How do you, like, fake bio signs, Mm -hmm. you know? But apparently these are advanced enough to do that. I think this would be such a cool thing to have in our world, because, like, think of the Halloween costumes we could have. (laughs) However, I could see a lot of other problems arising from it, so (laughs) maybe it's good this technology doesn't exist.
0: Apparently, they must have some similar function to, like, the environmental simulator, because there are times where people, like, grab their suits and stuff, and it's structurally there Mm -hmm. so it must have some sort of like light to solid emitter as a regular hologram would
1: yeah because like when they walked through the door um going to the bridge on the krill ship they bumped into each other Mm -hmm. so there's got to be a lot more to it than just projecting some sort of outward appearance
0: yeah they head into krill space where they're found by a destroyer and taken to meet captain haros and high priest Cezaron. Not knowing proper Krill names, they introduce themselves as Chris and Devin.
1: So really quick jumping back to the shuttle.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I had a couple questions about like, how did Gordon know how to fly their technology if they don't know much about them?
0: Mm, that is a good question. It also brings one up later on when mm-hmm. he uses the helm controls.
1: Yeah, I was just because obviously I'm loving seeing inside the shuttle. <laughs> And they showed the control panel, and it obviously had different technology mm-hmm. on it. And I was like, how did Gordon know how to do this? Just Maybe that is something that's just suspension of belief. They have some technological... But the reason I that came into my mind is they were talking about breaking down the shuttle on the Orville and figuring out how things worked. So that's why I was like, how did he know how to fly this? Maybe he's just that good.
0: There are probably some things that are uniform... Just conceptually, even though, yeah, mm-hmm. I, like, which control is which and stuff like that.
1: One thing that I thought was interesting is, in the first episode, the Krill have a language. True. So it might be one of those things where they're, they were speaking English, even on the Krill ship.
0: Yeah, I think that's something Star Trek did, too, and they explained it with Universal translators.
1: Mm, okay. that is, Yeah, that makes sense. It was just something I noticed because it wasn't really ever addressed right right because those are the things that i look at but why did they pick chris and devin as their names
0: uh, I, I just because keep... they're dumb
1: because <laughs> <laughs> like if they had an information briefing like the captain was reading in the shuttle don't you think there would have been more prep like this is like here's names to use
0: well they even had that discussion in the shuttle mm-hmm. of we didn't stop to think of krill names and they list yeah. a bunch of them they even say like Hagen <laughs> yeah and yeah, it's something they probably should have considered, uh, and mm-hmm. then just didn't settle it by the time they got there.
1: I just felt like that was an important
0: key. Oh, it's one of many things that they probably should have considered going into this <laughs> yeah. mission.
1: But yeah, you know, the Krill just was like, yeah, Chris and Devin, interesting names, but we'll just accept it. Like, there was, I just thought that yep, was interesting. Let's roll with it.
0: Mm-hmm. To be fair, there are lots of names on Earth that I've never heard before. They're just in yeah. different languages. Who's to say the Krill doesn't have that kind of different thing where there are like different ethnicities of Krill.
1: Yeah, you're right. You're more forward thinking than I am. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yes, Chris and Devin weird. Uh, they mm-hmm. are called to services with the rest of the crew where they meet Talaya and learn of the Krill's deity, Avis. During the service, Cesaron repeatedly <laughs> stabs the head of a deceased Union colonist, with a ceremonial dagger
1: a lot of stabbing there's a
0: lot of stabbing and a not pleasant sound to listen to
1: no the i will say the severed head looked very good though like that was a that was a really good special effect a little too good (laughs) a little too good but it was just the fact that it was just over and over stabbing with them like a monotonous chant Mm -hmm. it does i think it does a good job showing of the aggressive nature of the religion Mm -hmm. and that this This person wasn't worth, their life wasn't worth anything. And now it's like, what was the purpose of the stabbing? Was that just like a ceremonial?
0: Yeah. Something. We never really learned what function it serves. If we knew what they were chanting, it probably would have been helpful. Mm -hmm. But yeah.
1: That was, like I said, though, like seeing the bridge and then seeing the chapel, it would be considered a chapel. Yeah. Yeah. It was just interesting that they make time to just do a service together and- It was just also very normal, so then Gordon and Ed are just in shock. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, that would be hard to keep your cool.
0: Oh, absolutely, yeah. Just
1: seeing that.
0: Especially having the forethought of, if they catch us, that could be our head up there next. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I did really appreciate Gordon's constant Avis references about, like, Avis the car company. (laughs) So many (laughs) things throughout this episode.
1: That was one of the things that I thought was challenging because they weren't emulating how the Krill act mm-hmm. at all. It was very still human-like in their interactions. And I was like, wouldn't they want to have toned that down because they're in such a dangerous environment?
0: Yeah, I have a lot of comments on that actually coming up very soon about their mm-hmm. like behavior. But again, that's I think that's the comedy element of the show.
1: Yeah. I just I also have a lot of thoughts on it too, but it was just something where it was so glaring to me just how... First, their names, Chris and Devin, and then how aggressively human they were acting. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, they're not actors, (laughs) even though they're actors (laughs) playing people who are definitely not actors. Mm -hmm. After services, the pair sneak back into the chapel and begin taking photos of the Ancana when they're spotted by Cesaron. Ed quickly comes up with an excuse and they depart, but the high priest is noticeably suspicious. So like we were just saying, they both have like a lot of tells. Yeah, that giveaway that these are not like great krill. The other kind of weird part is that the krill seem to ignore all of them.
1: Yeah, that that's yeah, like the fact that the way they were conversing with Chris and Devin was just so out of the norm, and it was just almost not ignored, mm-hmm. but just almost ignored.
0: Yeah, they very much just don't acknowledge and blow by like every kind of human phrase and human mannerism, except for like. The one time where Ed's like, oh, uh, being in charge has its privileges or whatever. And he's like, oh, I haven't Mm -hmm. heard that one before. And that one that one makes a little more sense to write off because it's just a saying. Yeah. But like the way they speak even. So I noticed something fairly early on the episode and then I paid attention through the rest of it to see if it held true the entire time. Mm -hmm. And it's not 100 percent true because I did hear them once or twice, but. The krill don't use contractions for the most part.
1: I didn't notice that.
0: It's one of the reasons their speech sounds so much more formal than mm-hmm. the kind of human speech that Ed and Gordon are using the whole time is because they're very yeah. relaxed and just kind of throwing out phrases and they're using casual speech. But the krill almost never use contractions. The only time I noticed one that I was actively listening was Cezaron used one during uh, his ceremony in the chapel. But it's like the only one I heard in the entire episode.
1: They do sound more formal. They're very measured with their speaking Mm -hmm. and very deliberate with what they're saying. And just, it was so different. The fact that their name was Chris and Devin, the fact that they were the only survivors from that ship, the way that they're talking how they don't seem to fully know how to do any of the things in the chapel when they're doing the service like there's just a lot of a lot of things
0: they're the worst undercover agents
1: mm-hmm and I mean I get it this is all hastily thrown together but I just feel like if I were in that situation I would be like trying to be more astute in how I was speaking and try to come up with a name that you know you get it you're getting introduced to everybody yeah. just throw something out there like, Block R or
0: something. <laughs> not using contractions is not a difficult thing to do. Like, you could you could pick up on that and adjust your speech pretty easily. And you don't even have to be 100% accurate with it because they do use them on occasion. But, mm-hmm. like, that's an easy copy to make you fit in a little bit more.
1: But I didn't even notice. Like, so maybe I would not notice that. And then I would have just been using them the entire time. And then that's how they would have found me out.
0: Are you saying you're also a bad undercover agent?
1: I am also a bad undercover agent, <laughs> but still probably
0: would have been better than uh, Gordon and Ed.
1: I think, yeah, I think I would've I would have tried really hard to tone back the uh, a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Though I do, I can understand and appreciate it from a comedic yeah, oh, perspective. Totally,
0: yeah. Later, they sneak back into the temple and continue taking their photos. Cesaron convinces the captain to place a guard at the entrance of the chapel. With the guard on the way, Ed and Gordon's holographic generators malfunction and reveal their true selves. They manage to sneak out and return to their quarters unseen where they fix the problem. The malfunction seems to have been caused by electromagnetic interference from somewhere else on the ship.
1: Holy heck are they lucky. Mm Mm-hmm. I had another comment, and later on it comes back up. There's not a lot of security on this ship.
0: no. Not a ton. I don't feel like, well, okay. So the Krill kind of from their religious standpoint is above everyone. Maybe Mm -hmm. they feel like they don't need it as much because like, who's going to mess with the Krill? They're the top of the food chain in their minds.
1: And kind of calling back to what you were saying about, I wonder how many people are on the ship, the original battle cruiser that blew Mm -hmm. up. There didn't seem to be that many krill in the halls or like working around the ship. So it made me wonder, like, is this just like bare bones crew? Is that how they run things? And because they were able to sneak around a lot without getting caught.
0: Do they have have multiple chapels or was everybody in the chapel? Like the whole crew?
1: Oh, maybe only certain people. Maybe they do it in shifts.
0: That's what I'm wondering. Because, I
1: mean, if that... Because wouldn't the kids have to go to it too?
0: One would think, and then who's flying the ship? <laughs> yep.
1: maybe there's like shifts for the for the daily head stabbing. Maybe, so.
0: <laughs> <laughs> which means they need multiple heads. Like they,
1: I know. One of the things I thought that I noticed is when they were doing like up and close shots, they look very the krill look very fish and reptile like, which makes sense because krill is something that's part of our sea life on Earth. That I'm googling just to make sure. Krill are very small crustaceans found in the world's oceans. And I just thought it was interesting. Like when you looked at the details of their Mm -hmm. faces, they do look very fish and reptilian like. And I I just again, 111 of those prosthetics for this episode. Yeah,
0: that's crazy. I had a question, too, of so the the holographic generators go down, right? Mm -hmm. Another thing that they probably should have prepared for more. Why wear your union uniforms?
1: It was hastily thrown together. Yes, but you know? even hastily
0: thrown together, you got you got other clothes. Like, mm-hmm. let's say you're creating a worst case scenario and <laughs> your holographic generators fail at some point. Would it not be better to be like, we're union colonists instead of union officers where we're probably going to get tortured for the information we have? Not even that forethought?
1: I mean, but they also didn't have names it so,
0: really went into this
1: <laughs> yeah it, it's kind of on brand for how poorly planned it is yeah. like the admiral's like you're doing this and then they're like okay and then there was like no no forethought for a lot of like pretty big mission details like you know a name that makes you blend mm-hmm. in maybe a family background story of some kind you know just a little bit of a little bit of a Clothing that's not a bright blue or a bright red if your um, hologram just happens to break.
0: One more thing that says they're the worst undercover agents.
1: And they're also the luckiest people alive. That's true.
0: (laughs) They investigate the source of the interference and find an enormous bomb being prepared on the ship. In an attempt to find out more about it, they invite Talaya to dinner. She reveals that the bomb will be used to destroy the Union farming colony Rana Three. They plan to use their emitters to overload the bomb remotely from a shuttle and destroy the bomb and the ship along with it.
1: How did they, how did she know so much about the bomb? I guess, is it, again, one of those things where they're just, the krill are just so open with each other that this is just common knowledge?
0: Well, I mean, it's a small, you know how gossip gets around a small school? Yeah. It's a small mm-hmm. crew, so obviously it just gets around.
1: One of the things I did like is we got to see some of their food that they were eating. Oh, yeah. I mean, it looked awful, but that's another thing. Like the the House Hunters Krill edition, we got to see inside their living quarters too, and just seeing those little glimpses into like the life of these other species and aliens makes it seem more real. Mm -hmm. And I just I love that they're like having dinner, and it's just this like slop pile of different shapes and colors, Mm -hmm. and just chatting about you know that there's a bomb they're bringing to go blow up a colony casually. Just casually like but it was like it, it shows an insight into the Krill and how like they believe this is their mission. They're not doing anything wrong.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I I, found it to be very much like uh, the tone and the look of everything to be kind of a blend between Klingon and Romulan. Yeah, where like the Klingon ships aren't built for comfort or anything because they're a warrior race. There's a lot of that going on here, too. It feels like
1: mm-hmm. I think that's a good description of a mix of what they are. But I it is very interesting to see it from their perspective too. Mm-hmm. Like they just this is their life and this is what they believe and yeah, I have more thoughts on that later.
0: And they're the only ones with souls.
1: I uh, yeah, that was I wrote that down. They said like when the little kid was like, wait, but do humans have souls? How do they talk? And she's like, Of course they don't have souls. I was like, damn. Like the
0: computer talks, it doesn't have a soul. Come on.
1: Yeah. We're essentially computers.
0: On the way to begin their plan, Talaia stops them and asks them to speak to her trainees, who are a bunch of school children. Ed now refuses to destroy the ship when there are children aboard.
1: I just like that they're called trainees, because that is heavy.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's some psychological stuff going on right there.
1: But they were, I will say, the, the, the children, Krill, were adorable. Kind of were. Yeah, and but they're all very astute and just very militaristic in the way that they acted mm. like stand up when they came in the room and then like,
0: it makes sense for their kind of race. Yeah. How formal they are mm-hmm. and everything.
1: And I also have some more thoughts on the, the kiddos. All right. After th- some other things unfold.
0: All right. <laughs> While speaking to a Krill child, it realizes that sunlight is deadly to Krill as they come from a planet that is primarily shrouded in darkness. They adjust their plan to increase the ultraviolet light on the ship. After making sure the children are safe in their classroom.
1: Where did Koja come from? He just shows up and he's like, I have more yeah. questions. Yeah. And um, in my my first thought was like, where are this where where is the kid's parents? Where where's the adult? Because like you think about it, like just unsupervised going into a stranger's quarters mm-hmm. and being like, Tell me more about these humans though it was good for plot development. I had serious concern for Koja. Koja's
0: just the rap scallion in the class that just goes <laughs> yeah. off. I, I mean, he disappears later on too. But mm-hmm. this doesn't seem like the type of classroom where a teacher would be Mm-mm. like, "He just wanted to go look at the stars." Like that's a hippie attitude for a krill to I, have.
1: It's a Montessori school yeah. <laughs> space. I thought that too because she was like, "Oh, um." Co- where like When Ed's like, where's Koja? And she, he wanted to go look at the stars, so I gave him a pass. When she's making them stand up and sit down mm-hmm. and pay attention, I just thought it was um, an interesting choice that maybe Koja just gets special treatment.
0: Maybe. Maybe he's on a special plan. Yeah. <laughs> he's
1: like one of the higher-ups kids, and he just gets a free pass for
0: everything. <laughs> Gordon is caught using his comm scanner in the hallway by Cezaron who also discovers and deactivates his holographic emitter. Meanwhile, Ed returns to the classroom and destroys the lights before going to find one child who isn't present because he's looking at the stars.
1: Freaking Koja. <laughs> I I wonder, like, I think it's interesting that Gordon was like, where are we meeting again? And it was the bridge. How did he not? It just yeah. seems like very basic plans were
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> not remembered. And I mean, he. I think that was why he got caught.
0: Yeah, because he was using his communicator. Mm-hmm. Caesaron had guards with him anyway, so suspicions were pretty high. Yeah. But they caught him red-handed, so.
1: But this is another thing when when Gordon is setting that timer. Mm-hmm. I was like, where is everybody? You know, like this ship is very skeleton crew esque, and I I mean I just don't understand how they were like sneaking around looking at the Ankana. Mm. Oh, they're over here now, and now they're in a classroom, and now they're like they were just all over the place with no The security just seemed very lax, which I understand because it's their ship and they're probably thinking there's no threats, Mm -hmm. but just how like nobody was around to catch them doing anything
0: suspicious. It does support the theory that this crew is actually way smaller than a ship of the size should have. Yeah. Gordon is brought to the captain who interrogates him before stabbing him in the leg. Good call back to the previous episode here where he's like, that's a new leg.
1: Mm -hmm. I actually found it. I saw a fact where... The director or said something like, "Oh, Gordon, that's your new leg." Like when they cut the scene, Mm -hmm. and then they ended up writing it into the show. And I did enjoy that. That would suck if you got stabbed in your new leg. I know,
0: right? Like I just grew this.
1: I just grew this, like, and I'm sure it's not a comfortable process. Then you have to get used to your new leg, and now it has a shiny new wound in it. (laughs)
0: Might as well just amputate it again, grow a new one. (laughs) Grow a new leg. This one's ruined.
1: Oh, this one's just yeah. Throw it in the trash.
0: (laughs) Ed returns the Krill child to the safety of the classroom just before the lights fry all the other Krill on board. As the bomb had already been launched, Malloy fires torpedoes from the ship and destroys it before it can reach the planet.
1: So when Ed's going to find Koja, Mm -hmm. is he just running through the ship killing people?
0: Yeah, looks like that.
1: Like, I was on the way when he was on the way back. I was like, he's just murdering fools left and right. Mm -hmm. And also, I thought this was interesting. When... Ed has Koja with him. The Krill shoot at him, even though he's like holding the kid's hand. Yeah.
0: I wonder how much value they even I'm. will also think about it this way. Like this is a battleship. Mm-hmm. They have kids on board at all. How much do Krill value their children?
1: The fact that they called them trainees was interesting to me because later on I was like, I realize I don't believe they had families on the ship. I don't think so. And so when there was like a, a line near the end where they're, the kids were being sent back to their families, and I was like, holy crap, that means they're just by themselves.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, so they're essentially being trained to be a part of this world that is harming other alien races and flying around the universe, mm-hmm. just destroying whatever they want.
0: In their mind, it must be accepted that these kids are already military. hmm And whatever yeah, happens, so it's like, happens. Yeah, so it's like
1: military kids. Yeah,
0: it's messed up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like Hitler Youth a little bit. A little
0: bit. With the Krill Destroyer in tow, we see that Talaya has been brought on board the Orville. Mercer apologizes to her, saying that he had no choice. He tells her that arrangements have been made to return the children to their parents on Krill, but doesn't quite know what they'll do with her yet, though she won't be harmed.
1: Oh, man. <laughs> I, I just I remember there was a line where, like, the kids are okay, but I was like, but you just fried the entire ship. I understand, like they did it because they're trying to save a colony of a hundred thousand people. But how? I mean, your hands are tied. You got to do what you got to do. But like, how do you justify that in the in the diplomacy of things? And
0: in the diplomacy, I don't think you can.
1: Mm-mm. But it was just it was just interesting that they because when I was watching them. Get hit with the light. I was like, oh, maybe they're just going to be incapacitated. Right. And then as I kept watching, I was like, oh, no, they're dying. Oh, no, they're cooked. Like, it was no... There's no coming back.
0: Yeah, I kind of thought the plan was to, like, take them out, not mm-hmm. kill them. They're dead. Yeah, they dead.
1: <laughs> they, they they dead. And that's the thing is, like, yes, they saved the kids. And I just... I thought the whole discussion with Ed and Talea was really important. And part of my takeaway has a little bit about that. But the last line of the episode is very powerful.
0: I have that next. Our mission was in the interests of peace. But your crew was going to murder a hundred thousand people. What the hell else could I have done?
1: Why did you save the children?
0: They're kids. With their whole lives ahead of them. They're not my enemies.
1: After what they saw you do today? They will be.
0: They will be.
1: And that really resonated with me, Mm -hmm. and it's true. Those kids, yes, they did get spared, but that these two people just, from the the race that they are technically fighting against, or one of their enemies, Mm -hmm. just killed their entire ship full of people that they interacted with and lived with every day.
0: Yeah, on a mission to go and better understand the species so they could make peace with them, they did way more damage. Granted, they saved an entire colony that they wouldn't have otherwise, But at the same time made some potential harder enemies.
1: Oh, there's just a lot there that trying to reconcile like what they did, is it okay? Is it not okay? I mean, I think there's just too much gray area.
0: There's a lot of gray area, yeah.
1: Yeah. But the what what stood out to me is when they're flying back on the shuttle, how like lighthearted they were Mm. about like do you just a buttload of aloe Because, you know, Gordon had the huge sunburn. And I was like, you just killed, like, a bunch of people on that ship. But, yes, they saved lives. Like, yeah, it was just, like, this kind of mind mind warp thing that, I like, after the episode, I was, like, really thinking about things. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, you got to consider, if you look at it compared to the first Krill ship versus this one, right? The -hmm. first one was firing at a colony. The Orville shows up and is like... If you don't stop, we got to face off here and look at what ends up happening. We blow up their ship. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the same idea. It's just in a different form.
1: Yeah. And it's very similar. I think it's just like that removal of it. Like the ship explodes. You don't see the people Mm -hmm. inside like die. Yeah. And so this it was just interesting that that Talia was okay coming on the ship to get scanned and stuff. I
0: don't know if she was okay. Oh, no.
1: Yeah, She was a prisoner. Yeah, that's right. But it was. That's another thing. Like, the kids got sent home, but Talia was put in the brig.
0: With adults, I guess they're treating it differently. hmm The kids don't know any better. The kids can't fend for themselves the way that she can. And she, she has things to be responsible for, whereas the kids don't. But it also made me wonder, like, we made arrangements to send the kids home to their families. With who?
1: <gasps> oh! Oh!
0: Like, (laughs) where's where's our go to communication with the Krill person? Because we know nothing about these people. That's why we did this mission in the first place. Who are we contacting to get these kids home? And when we offer, are they not just going to, like, attack us?
1: That's an excellent point. I didn't think about that. Wow. I mean, it is. It's something where maybe they just, the union, there's a union vessel going to bring them back and just hope that it all goes well.
0: <laughs> just remote vessel, an entire <laughs> ship and leave it in the hands of the krill. <laughs> Although they do have the krill ship that they're towing, but uh, they send, I doubt they're sending that back. That's probably getting dismantled. I don't know. It's, I know it's a story right off and they don't have time to deal with it or address it, but it's a very odd one.
1: Yeah, I have a lot of takeaways from this episode. Yeah,
0: well, let's get to that. What is your big takeaway here?
1: Oh, man, my big takeaway was that uh, the Union, especially Ed, and maybe his crew needs to be better at, like, diplomacy with other races and other alien.
0: Oh, really? They've been so good at it so far. (laughs)
1: I feel like they need to work on themselves a little bit in these in these situations. It was just so glaring, like not a cringe kind of thing, Mm -hmm. but like I had a physical reaction. I'm like, oh, gosh, you're going to die like just because you're going to screw up and you're making your cracking jokes. And like the seriousness of the situation didn't seem to be realized, though. I understand the show mixes comedy Mm -hmm. and serious topics, and I like that. I just thought it was really interesting that there was no adaptation to their environment.
0: Yeah, no effort whatsoever to try and be more Krill.
1: Mm-hmm, and then I, I had a lot of unanswered questions at the end of the episode, just a lot of, like, trying to fill in specifics. Like you said... Do
0: we need some headcanon?
1: <laughs> we need some headcanon, like how the kids got back mm-hmm. home and just how they were able to move around the ship so freely with the access that they Mm -hmm. had, how they didn't get caught doing half the things that they did. Just, there's a lot that I felt I had to fill in or I had to just kind of go, it's okay. I'm just, it it doesn't, we don't need an answer to that, but my mind likes those Mm -hmm. like tied up ends. I will say her line about the kids being Ed's enemies was a great ender to the episode. And it really stuck with me.
0: And an interesting note to go out on.
1: Mhm. And it was something too where I was like, "Hell yeah, I agree with her." Like it's 1000% 100% true, whether Ed likes to admit that or yeah. not. Those kids saw he they didn't do a it's hard. It's like that morality like did they do a good thing? They saved, you know, 100,000 lives, but they also potentially made things worse with the krill. Like there's just so many things where it's a double-edged sword. You can't do the right thing.
0: There was no right thing here.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's like that that philosophy problem where it's like you can divert a car to hit this one person versus hitting the four over here. Mm-hmm. And it's that same plot, but in this episode, I think. Yeah. And, it, and I love episodes like this because it makes me think more about right and wrong and how I would do things, how I wouldn't do things. So even though I had some issues with the... The way that they interact on the ship, I appreciate the humor of it, and I can... I, I don't know. It was a, an episode I thoroughly enjoyed because I love seeing Inside the Krill.
0: Mm-hmm. So, I like this episode not as much as you, though. Oh. And I think for the same opposite reason. So, Ooh, I, okay. I totally acknowledge that this is a stupid reason not to like an episode <laughs> as much. Uh, the story is absolutely fine. All the characters are mm. great. I love that the Krill are being treated with more depth than just like your generic. Here's the bad guy species that hate them because they're the enemy type thing. I love that we Mm -hmm. get like a whole explanation of their religious fanaticism and all that stuff. I just never cared for episodes that take place in enemy territory in the same way like of I know I know this is the opposite of you like. If if there are episodes of TNG that took place on like the Klingon homeworld or like the Romulan ship, I'm like, but I want to be on the Enterprise. That's that's Mm -hmm. the thought I have. Like, I like exploring and seeing. So here's here's the double edged sword with it for me is, yes, I want all this more depth to other characters and other races and other species. I want that. There's no other way they can give it to me than mm-hmm. doing these episodes so they're like a necessary evil for me <laughs> like i'm like yeah. i want to be on the orville as much as possible especially considering how so few episodes we get per season yeah and yet th- there's there's no reason not to do something like this and it's selfish of me to just be like i want to be on the orville all the time <laughs> so no that's the only reason the episode is perfectly fine i'm just mm-hmm. a brat
1: <laughs> no, it's like that's like me with theme episodes. Yes,
0: it's the same. Where thing. I'm
1: just like, get out of here with that. I just want to to see things develop in real time with the real characters, and mm-hmm. I don't need a Sherlock. Holmes. I love Star Trek, but I was like, I don't need this. I just <laughs> want normal Orville or normal Enterprise, all that kind of stuff. So I get it. I understand.
0: And I don't want people to to think that I'm saying this is a bad episode. And I don't hate it. It's not a bad episode. It's just weird personal preference that I prefer (laughs) other episodes just due to that dumb little fact. Uh, I do like the way that it ended. That being said, we've commented several times about how Mercer doesn't consider consequences when Mm -hmm. making decisions. And I felt like he was just doing that this entire episode. He was constantly considering all the different ways that things could play out and the results of stuff. And yet, even all the thought that he puts into it, he still couldn't foresee every possible consequence. Because in the end, it's still the thing where, like, the kids saw you do this. You've made more enemies Mm -hmm. today. And it's like, well, come on. Like, I tried. I thought about this, and I thought about that, and I weighed things, and I did what I thought was the best course of action, and it's still coming back to bite me. And at least I'm, I'm very happy to see that we got more consideration of that because it's a thing that we've brought up several times
1: yeah I, it's interesting too that they brought the children krill mm-hmm. in because it adds a different layer layers my word of the day it i is. think but it, it's it is something where it it may because it's not just all adults there's something about kids that brings in that element of extra morality and so even though ed saved the kids he still didn't It wasn't the best possible outcome, though I don't know that there was a great outcome for that situation.
0: Yeah, given the time that they had to deal with it, Mm -hmm. that might have been the best possible choice, and you just got to deal with the negative fallout that comes from it.
1: I just feel like being in this situation, like being a Union captain, you're going to have to reconcile in your mind all of these difficult decisions you have to make and how it's... You're probably never going to have the right answer, Mm -hmm. and so you just have to do the best you can. But it's... It's still like, I don't know how you sleep at night after like how many nights of or how many days of doing things where you have not you don't get the best possible. No,
0: those are the challenges of command, really.
1: Mm -hmm. Because I remember when they killed the whole crew, I wrote down, OMG, they just killed the whole crew with light. Like I wrote that down and I had such like a visceral reaction to it and just how lighthearted Gordon was because he had a sunburn Mm. and- you know, it was just it's interesting when you think about it on a deeper level than just you know, it's it's a comedy sci-fi show. You know, how dark it can actually be when you really think about it. Yeah,
0: sometimes it's weird because sometimes the comedy points out to you just how serious the situation should be. Yeah. And it's almost uncomfortable when someone treats it as lightly as they do.
1: Mm-hmm. So I, I did I think the episode on a whole was really enjoyable and I love philosophical questions being posed, even if they're not blunt in your face. There's just a lot that, since we're watching these in a more critical view, makes me think a lot more about what's happening. And it's not just like a laugh, laugh around, oh, we're on a krill ship, saving the kiddos. Like, it was, holy crap, they just murdered the crew, but they saved the colony, and they saved the kids, but there's consequences no matter what.
0: Before we get out of here, there's one more opinion we need to hear because Katie's husband, Mark, is also a big fan of the show and likes to leave us with his one sentence review. Maybe if the Krill just went door to door witnessing, people would dislike them less. Quantum Drive is a production of The Geek Generation. If you like this show, be sure to check out our other podcasts on The Geek Generation Network at thegeekgeneration.com.
1: If you'd like to support the show and get access to exclusive bonus podcasts, along with other perks, you can visit our Patreon campaign at thegeekgeneration.com slash support.
0: You can follow Quantum Drive on Twitter at Quantum Pod and me at Logan.
1: You can follow me on Twitter at playkatieplay and on Twitch at KatiePetersPlays. And Katie is spelled K-A-T-I-E.
0: Please rate the show and write a review on Apple Podcasts. If you do, we may read your review on an upcoming episode.
1: Finally, questions and comments can be sent to quantumdriveatthegeekgeneration.com.
0: We're out of here for now, but we'll see you soon in In the future.
1: future.